sermon podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Awesome. Well, hey, everyone, whether you have a mask on at your seat or not, I'm going to ask that you would look around and uh, just smile real big at someone. Just give them a, just get a good smile. Yeah, like one of those, Aaron. Just a good, big, bright, wide-eyed smile. Yeah, beautiful, Tanya. Excellent, excellent. Thank you guys so much. Um, you know, I was listening to a podcast earlier this week. It was actually a podcast that was... Uh, engineered for, uh, particularly for pastors and for ministry leaders. And the particular spokesperson on this podcast said something that I thought was very, very interesting. He had a letter from one of his parishioners and he said to him, uh, Pastor, in this season of COVID-19, starting all the way back in the beginning of March, he says, everything in my life has been unpredictable. Everything in my life has been uncertain Everything, it seems, is changing. I'll create plans, and those plans will change. He goes, but I tell you what, he goes, tuning in to your broadcast every week has been a stable element of predictability for my life. He goes, I know that you're always going to be positive. I know you're going to smile at us on the camera, and I know that you're going to preach the faithfulness of Jesus and the scriptures and the gospel. And I'm just telling you guys, there is something about finding those anchors in your life when everything else seems like it's just turned upside down. And I think one of these, I think this gathering is one of those anchors for us. So I said this last week, I'm gonna say it again today. I might say it every time that we gather, but you guys, it is a big deal that we choose to get up and press through uh, every barrier, uh, real or perceived, that would keep us from gathering together as the church. So guys, good morning and great job, and thank you for being here today. My prayer is that over the long arc of time, as we continue to be faithful in the gathering, Jonathan and I were having a conversation earlier this week, and, and I think a lot of people are asking themselves this, whether they know it consciously or they're just kind of having these, these, these sideways conversations, like what, Matt, what difference does it make? What difference? I think there's a lot in our younger generation that are like, why should we gather together anyways? And, and we'll talk more about that specifically in the weeks to come. But I'm just here to tell you, there is something that cannot be substituted with physical presence gathering together in the name of Jesus, hearing the gospel proclaimed in a context that has been designed for us. Um, I know you guys, we know one another, and there is a life accountability that takes place when the gospel is proclaimed to a local group of people. We're all hearing the same word. We can all look into each other's eyes and see how we're all doing and, and following Jesus faithfully. So guys, great job getting up a little bit earlier than usual and being here uh, to be at service today. Grab your Bibles if you would, and let's go to the scriptures. Last week, we started a little two-part series on following Jesus faithfully, following Jesus faithfully. And if you weren't here last week, I'll give a very, very quick uh, review out of Matthew chapter 16. And we'll pick that story up at verse 23 and go ahead and find your way there. Matthew chapter 16, we'll look at verse 23 
and 24 and 25 this morning. And let us pray. Father, today we're so grateful for the opportunity that we have to gather together as the church. Father, we are gathered together in the name of Jesus. And you promised that when we gather in your name, that you are there. And Jesus, we just acknowledge today that you are here right now, that you are the host of this gathering and you are the host of this table. You have bid us to come together today. And as Jonathan prayed earlier, you are constituting us. You are making us what we cannot be in ourselves. You are making us your church, your body. So Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear by our spirit and by even our natural man, that you would give us ears to hear what the spirit is saying today. Sanctify my lips as I read and preach the word of God today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 16. For those of you who were not here with us last week, a very, very quick synopsis. There's a story here where Jesus is at a turning point in his ministry, and he turns to his disciples and he asks them, who do people say that I am? And Peter is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he says, you're Jesus, man. You are the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You're the Christ. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the fulfillment of all of these Old Testament prophecies that we've grown up on and we've heard our entire lives. And Jesus says, yes, you got it. And, and flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father has revealed this to you. We believe that God is a God who speaks to us and he is a God who reveals truth and insight to us. Can I get an amen on that? We believe that uh, Christianity is not a dead religion. It's not just a religion, a religion of ideas and beliefs and right doctrines, but that God is breathing into and through and upon his words and he's bringing life uh, out of them. So Peter has this insight and this revelation about who Jesus is that comes from God himself. And then the scripture, if you'll look right here with me in verse 23. Jesus turned and he said to Peter, get, be, get behind me, Satan, for you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, now, wait a minute, what happened here? Just a few verses ago, Jesus was applauding Peter. He was celebrating Peter. Well, Peter got revelation right, and as Jonathan teaches so often, there is a massive gap between revelation and interpretation. So Peter gets the revelation, he interprets it through his own filter, and he says to Jesus, Jesus, you, you were never going to lay your life down. You're not going to go and be crucified and be rejected. And Jesus immediately recognizes that what Peter is saying is now not from God. Peter's interpretation of that revelation is, it's ran through the filter of the Jewish imagination of what the Messiah should be. And so last week we talked about the fact that we can either be building blocks to Jesus's will and Jesus's plan in life, or we can be stumbling blocks. And one of the ways that we inevitably find ourselves becoming stumbling blocks to the will of God and to the kingdom of God is when we assume that we know what is right for Jesus and for our lives. Is that when we run our view of God through our own cultural lens of interpretation, Earlier this week, as I was just 
continuing to marinate and pray and think about these particular scriptures, there was this phrase that just kept running through my heart and my mind. And it was this, Christianity is not a religion of success and power. Christianity is not a religion of success and power. Now, I want you just to let that settle with you here for a little bit because, you know, we're Americans, most of us, right? And we have been indoctrinated in the ideology of success and power. Success and power equals good. Success and power equals blessing. And so then when we start taking cultural ideas of blessing and favor, and we start mixing those with gospel, what we get is we get a false gospel that says that if I am faithful to God, I will then be successful as the world defines success, and I will have power. Now, Jesus... Jesus is emphatically speaking against that when he tells his disciples, guys, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be ridiculed. I am the Messiah, but I am not the Messiah as you think the Messiah is to be. I am God in the flesh, and I am laying down my life because this gospel is not a gospel of success and power as you define success and power. That is not the Messiah way. That's not the Jesus way of life on this earth. Let's look here what Jesus then says to Peter after he rebukes him, after he says, Peter, you got to get back in line. You've got to get behind me. You're getting out in front of me. You're assuming now that I should be following you and your notion of what it means to live in the kingdom. No, you've got to get back behind me. You got to get back in line. You've got to submit your idea of what following me looks like to what I have said following me looks like. And then he says these three things, which is entering into our quote-unquote part two for today. He says, number one, if anyone would follow me, if anyone would come after me, some, some translations say it like this, if, if anyone wants to be my disciple. Now, guys, we just got to stop right there. We got to just stop right there and we got to let that, that question, and we've got to let that, that concept, we've got to let that mess with us for a little bit. Because I think if we're not careful what, what has happened or what could be happening or what might happen in the future is that many of us, most of us in this room, if we're honest with ourselves, we said yes to Jesus many, many, many years ago. I know for me, guys, it's now been almost 30 years ago that I said yes to Jesus. But if we're not careful, we can assume that saying yes to Jesus 30 years ago or 20 years ago or five years ago means that, that that's our yes for the rest of our lives, right? That we just say yes to Jesus and then we keep going our own way. And look at what Jesus says here. He goes, if, if anyone wants to be my disciples. Now, there's, now look at right here at the very first phrase here. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple. Now he called them. He called them at the beginning of every one of the gospels. We find these magnificent stories where Jesus is walking along and he intersects their lives. And he says, listen, 
Come and follow me. Enter into apprenticeship with me. Come and be a student of this way of life. Let, let me show you who God is and, and what the kingdom is about and abandon life as you know it and come and let me teach you a better way. And every single one of these 12 guys are like, yes, we're going to follow you. And now there's this critical juncture. There's this intersection in the road. We find this multiple times throughout the gospels. There's this juncture where Jesus is saying, whoever wants to be my disciple. But wait, I thought I was your disciple. Well, yeah, you are my disciple, but, but the life of discipleship is a life of a thousand yeses. The life of discipleship is at every critical juncture of your life, I'm still moving forward and inviting you to come with me. Discipleship in the mountaintop, discipleship in the wilderness, discipleship in the desert, discipleship in the garden, means that no matter what season or stage of life we're in, discipleship, when I've been rejected, neglected, abandoned, abused, forgotten, offended, I'm saying yes to Jesus and his way of handling that. Are you hearing me this morning? Listen to this statement. Whoever wants to be my disciple, guys, here's the question for us. Do, do you and do I, do we want to be disciples of Jesus? Or do we want to be consumers of a cultural Christianity. And in what ways is our Christianity discipleship to Jesus? And in what ways is our Christianity things that we've just picked up from the world around us? And allowing the Holy Spirit to shine light and to say to us essentially what he said to Peter, maybe, maybe less, less harsh, less harshly, but allowing Jesus to say to us, you do not have in mind the thoughts of God, but you have in mind the thoughts of man. Can we just look at that previous verse very quickly? Because for those particularly who weren't here last week, look at what Jesus says in this, this last statement. He says, you're a stumbling block to me. We learned last week that that word means a trap. Peter, this idea that you have that you could have resurrection glory without crucifixion suffering is a trap to the purposes of God and to the will of God for my life and for your life. And then he says this, you don't have in mind the things of God, the concerns of God. You are not regarding what God is thinking about on this issue. And whatever the issue is culturally, Whatever the issue is politically, whatever the issue is sociologically, whatever the issue is relationally, God, what, guys, whatever the issue is on the table, this right here is the linchpin question. Do I have in mind what God thinks about this issue? What God is carrying for this issue? Do I have in mind the heart of God for this issue? Or do I simply have in mind my self-preservation? Do I simply have in mind my party? Do I simply have in mind my opinion? And how do we know? Jonathan and I were bantering a little bit about this this week. How do we know? Because like Peter, most of us, if we're going to get really, really honest with ourselves, most of us assume, I do know the heart of God on this. I do know the mind of God on this. And this is where we have to stop every single time on every issue. And with humility and open hands, we've got to say, God, is it possible that I don't have your mind and your heart on this issue? Are you hearing me this morning? 
The issue could be denominational. The issue could be theological. The issue could be biblical. The issue could be spiritual. The issue could be things that you've grown up and thought and heard and believed your entire lives. The issue could be social. And whatever it is, with all of our facts and all of our data and all of our stories, we have to come and say, God, do I have your mind and do I have your heart on this issue? Do I have your heart and do I have your mind on women in leadership in the church? Do I have your heart and do I have your mind on the gifts of the spirit being for today? Do I have your heart and your mind for the purposes of the gathering of the people of God, even though every message from society says to live my own way and that values independence and self-liberty? Do I have your mind on the four-year election cycle? Do I have your mind and do I have your heart on the things that that I read about, the situations that are happening on a regular basis? God, do I have your mind and your heart? And I'm telling you, that takes humility, but that's discipleship where we say, God, I'm not assuming that I'm behind you. The last thing that I want to do is be out in front of Jesus because the life of discipleship, the life of apprenticeship to Jesus is a life where we are behind him, guys, following his way. So let's talk real practically. Going back to verse 24, Jesus, after he makes this bold statement, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever chooses this way of life, these, these are the three things. Number one, you have to deny yourself. Any, any good deniers of self here in the house this morning? Any good master deniers? I am so glad I'm in good company because I stink at denying myself. On just about every front, guys, from shoes to chocolate to, to rich, indulgent, decadent foods to my opinions, um, I, I, don't, I don't really deny myself very well. And we're not talking about kind of living this, you know, this, this self-flogging uh, lifestyle. We're not talking about bringing harm to ourselves. But what we are talking about is understanding that to say yes to God many times means we have to say, come on, guys, let's wake up a little bit here. We got to say no to ourselves. Isn't that right? To say yes to God many times, most of the time, means we have to say no to ourselves. To say yes to forgiving our brother or sister means that we have to say no to our desire to nurture that offense. To say yes to help our brother or sister or neighbor who's in need means that we have to say no to our desire to just be convenient to just be entertained, to just be lazy. Maybe it's not even being lazy. Many of us, you guys, are genuinely and legitimately tired, physically, mentally tired. We come home from a long day. Those of you guys who have kids, you know what it's like. You guys know exactly what it's like. You put in a solid 10, 12 hours a day, you come home, right? And those kids, they're ready. They are ready. Some of you guys, Like some of you guys don't have kids yet, but you're dog owners and that dog is ready. Like they don't care. They don't care. You've counseled 12 people that day. Don't matter. Like, let's go. It's go time. And to say yes to serve your brother, your sister, your your child, your neighbor, your stranger, right? Means a lot of times that you have to say no to yourself. Denying 
yourself. Let's look here at a couple of scriptures here, I think, that are just very, very poignant. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'm, I'm kind of going back to some foundational discipleship verses in my, in my life here. I think the Lord might be speaking to me that I need to go back here to some of my roots. But Romans chapter 8, look at verse eight, uh, 5 with me, 5 through 8. Romans 8, 5 through 8. Those who live according to their flesh say yes to the things of the flesh. Take a look at that. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. That we're saying yes to the flesh. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Just take a look at those two verses right there. Right there. This is Christianity 101. That if you want to live the way of Jesus, then we have got to set our minds on what Jesus says. We've got to think about the way of the kingdom. And very, very simply, to make this very, very elementary, not to be disparaging, but to make it very simple, you guys. It means that we say yes to Jesus and we say no to the desires of our own flesh. Is anybody warm in here? Or, um, can Martha, can you help here? I just see, I feel like I'm in an African church here. Everyone's just like fanning themselves. <laughs> Jesse, we're going to help you, man. All right, so let's keep reading these verses. Verse six, the mind that is governed or controlled or ruled by the flesh is death. So when we choose our way, when we choose what is most often easiest for us, when we choose the thing that's most satisfying to our flesh, you guys know what I'm talking about. The, the, the examples are endless, right? When you know that you need to say no to just verbally going off on someone and you choose to say yes, guys, that's satisfying, right? But in the end, if we keep that up, it's death. It's death to your marriage. It's death to your friendship. It's death to your relationships. It's death to that, to that relationship that you have with your coworker. It's, it's death to that relationship with that neighbor. Are you justified? Maybe. Maybe you could be justified, but that's not the point. The point here is that is that when we give place to saying yes to ourselves, and that yes is not in alignment with the way of God, the end road to that is death in some form or manifestation. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind that is governed by the spirit is life. Very simply, very simply. If you speak words that are cruel it'll bring death. If you speak words that are kind, it'll bring life, right? All of our opinions don't need to be shared, guys. All of our opinions don't necessarily bring life. And scripturally, it's saying essentially right here that if your opinions are not, are not emanating from the mind of God, your opinions are not going to bring the life of God, Right? This last verse right here, verse 7, the mind that is governed by the flesh is hostile to God. What did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Your thought on this issue is a trap because you are not thinking about what God is thinking about on this issue. It looks good, sounds good, feels good, not God. 
does that does that does that humble anybody uh, does that make anybody want to stop and take a little bit of reflection and go oh my god could i be living life like peter is just cruising along assuming that my version of Christianity is, is a version of Christianity that, that is honoring God when maybe it's actually a stumbling block to him because it has not in mind the things of God at all. Let's take a look right here at the second thing. There's several verses, you guys. Oh my gosh, several verses. Let me just say this one thing. To give somebody permission to rule your life, i.e. Jesus in this scenario, means that you give him the authority to say no to you. Who has, like if your Christianity does not have some component where God can tell you no, it is not the Christianity of the Bible. It is not a gospel Christianity if Jesus can't tell you no. If Jesus can't tell you wait. If Jesus can't tell you not right now, maybe not ever. If you say, I demand answers, and he says, I'm not gonna give you answers. And if you're Christian, if you don't have a frame of mind for that, you have not been following the Christianity of the Bible. Are you guys hearing me today? To be an apprentice to Jesus means that he has permission to tell you no. And the way I know this is because in, in, in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is in the garden and he says, I, I really don't want to lay down my life for these stinking humans. And then he says this, he says, but you have permission to tell me no in this. There's been, there's been so many things in my life where literally the crossroads of discipleship is when I have taken an opportunity and a decision and submitted it to the hands of God and said, you have permission to tell me no. And this is where we go when we play that old country song, thank God for unanswered prayers, right? Wow, hard crowd this morning. Okay, let's keep going. Um, here's the second thing that Jesus says to Peter, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever chooses the Jesus way of discipleship, not just their cultural notions of religion. They've got to deny themselves and then they've got to take up their cross. And guys, this was not, when he was saying this to his disciples, this was not just like a figurative cross. I think what we've done is we've taken this verse and somehow we've like, we figuratized it. You understand what I mean by that? We're like, oh yeah, you know, sometimes we're gonna have to, no, Jesus was saying to these guys, guys, if you wanna go, if you like really wanna go all the way in apprenticeship to me, some of you guys will literally pay the price with your physical lives. You will die out of allegiance and loyalty to me. My first years of youth pastoring, I had this sweet, sweet kid. And uh, he was just a knucklehead. My gosh, he was, he was, so, he was so funny. But he really was a thorn in my flesh. Um, <laughs> And I remember, man, one time I was like, well, maybe I just need to get to know this guy better. He was the one who was always cracking up and, and um, cracking jokes in our youth services and, and getting everybody else to get distracted. And so one day I was like, I'm going to take this guy out to lunch. We're just going to spend some time together. And we're, we're riding along and he goes, he goes, man, Pastor Jade, he goes, you know what? He goes, man, I would die for Jesus. He goes, I think I, think I could be a martyr. He's like, yeah, I'd be a really good martyr. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> 
And this whole time I'm thinking to myself, buddy, before you start thinking about the crowns of laying down your physical life, like practice daily laying your life down on the cross to Jesus. Jesus is saying discipleship looks like this. Discipleship looks like not just saying no to your desires. Guys, discipleship means that we allow those things to die. That out of our allegiance and loyalty and faithfulness to this way of God, that we recognize that there are things in us that need to die. Die. Not just be set aside, not just be tolerated. They need to die. There are things in Jade Austin Duncan that need to die. And I can't kill them by myself. I need to enter into what Jesus has already done for me and for all of us and invites us into. Let's look at some verses together. We'll spend a little bit more time here on this point. Let's go to Romans chapter six again. Romans, we'll look at chapter six and why don't we just start here with the first 10 verses. What shall we say then, Romans 6, 1? What shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? No, by no means. We are those who have, look at this, died to sin. We are those the people of God, Christians, are those who have died to sin. That's how we identify ourselves. We don't identify ourselves by political parties, power, prestige, or success. We are those who have been recognized as the ones who have died to sin. Now, if, when, we, when we take inventory in the cultural landscape today, can we, or better yet, can people of the world look and go, oh, those those are the ones who have died to sin. Is that what the world would say about the church? Is that how they would identify us? This is what Paul is saying. We are the ones who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus? We were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. No resurrection glory without crucifixion suffering. In other words, we don't get to live the new life of Christianity without entering into the death that Jesus invites us into. This is Christianity. This is what it means to follow Christ. Jesus, we enter into your death with you. And may my flesh, may my sinful nature, and every version and manifestation, guys, listen, that's the words I speak, the thoughts I think, the attitude that I harbor, the desires that I nurture, that's the things that I do that no one else sees and maybe no one else will ever see or catch. That's the insidious just thing inside of me. Let it die. Bring it to, bring it to Jesus. Guys, earlier on in my Christian faith, one of the things that was so formative was hearing a message preached by a pretty well-known pastor referencing another well-known pastor who told this story. When when thousands of pastors came to this man, he was a pastor in Korea, and they said, tell us about your life of prayer. Tell us about 
how you're able to pray so diligently and so devotedly and for so long. And he says, you guys assume that I pray on a daily basis because I'm so good. And he says to them, guys, I don't pray because I'm so good. He goes, I pray because I recognize how wicked and evil the sin in me is. And that I bring that to Christ on a daily basis. One of the best things you can do for your discipleship to Jesus is create a spiritual rhythm where on a daily basis, probably the first thing you wake up is come and say, God, I present my life to you. And I pray right now that every part of my sinful nature and every sinful, na- in- in- every sinful inclination inside of me, I bring to the cross of Christ Jesus today. I bring my life to you. Let it be crucified with the crucifixion of Jesus. Let it die with Christ so that the new life of your spirit may live within me. Let's read a couple of verses further. Verse five, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body that is ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, We believe that we also will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, in the same way, look at this, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean? What does that look like very, very plainly? When you have that desire, when you have that thought, when you have that inclination that wants to take root like a seed, that that it, it wants to germinate, it wants to come to full term, you just look at it and you say, I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that lust. I'm dead to that pride. I'm dead to that arrogance. I'm dead to that anger. I'm dead to that violence. I'm dead to that. I am no longer a man who who satisfies myself in those things any longer. I'm dead to that. And guys, listen, this is daily for the rest of our lives. Look with me in Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter five. Many of us who have followed Christ for any amount of time will recognize some of these things I'm about to read as the fruits of the spirit. But before we get into the fruits of the spirit in Galatians five, Paul talks about the works of the flesh. Look at verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, division, slander, jealousy, fits of rage, acting out on my rage, selfishness, division, causing division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I mean, on and on it goes, right? So earlier on, and again, God's inviting me back into this, I would just take this list and I would walk through the list. Jesus, today I bring my sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery to you, and I pray that it will be crucified with Christ Jesus. That every desire, that every interest, that every inclination that lives inside of me of sexual immorality and impurity, I bring it to the cross today. And I pray right now, that every one of those desires would be crucified with Christ so that the new man of purity and life could live in me today. Let my speech, 
not be lewd, but let my speech be pure. Then I would go on to the next thing. Father, your word says right here that the acts of the flesh are obvious, idolatry and witchcraft. And God, I pray right now that all idolatry and witchcraft, that all desire to control others around me, right now, God, I bring it to you and I submit it to the cross to be crucified and on and on, just walking through every single one of those. Guys, this is how we put it to practice, being crucified with Christ. Paul said it like this. Look at Galatians chapter two. Galatians chapter two, verse 19. Paul says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. So in order to live for God, there are things we have to die to. In order to live for forgiveness, you've got to die to offense, right? In order to live for unity, you have to die to division. And what is the number one thing that breeds division? It's selfishness. It's our selfish pride. It's our ego. It's the number one thing that prevents unity or reconciliation in every form. We got to die to our selfishness and our independence in order to live towards harmony and reconciliation. Let's read in verse 20. I have been crucified. This is Paul. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It's no longer my opinion that lives. Guys, we got to get this deep inside of us. Man, thank God for the internet. We're saturated in so much, so much information. But Paul is saying, essentially, guys, it's no longer that that lives. That cannot be the identity of our lives. Amen? This is Christianity. It's no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. The final thing that Peter or, or Jesus says to Peter is this. If anyone would follow me, if anyone wants to be my disciple, here's what they've got to do. They've got to deny themselves. They've got to take up their cross, a life of death. And then he says this. What does it say in Matthew 16, verse 24? Follow me. Follow me. Come after me. Apprentice yourself to me. That word, akuthelo, is the word in Greek, and it very simply means, it means to follow after in a life of discipleship. And then I saw this nuance this morning. I just went back and I looked at that word, and it means to pick a party line. Do you think about this? Jesus is saying, pick my party line. If you want to live in discipleship to me, your affiliation and your allegiance has, has got to be to my party, not to Caesar's, not to the synagogue, not to the Sanhedrin, not to the Pharisees, not to the Sadducees, not to the religious rulers and leaders of the day, not, not to the political parties of the day. He's saying, Discipleship to me is to affiliate yourself with my party line and follow me. Follow me. Get in line with me. Say yes to me. Get in step with me. Go where I'm going. Say what I'm saying. Do what I'm doing. That is how we ensure that we're not a a stumbling block to Jesus. Jonathan, if you would come this morning, we're going to prepare our hearts.
And guys, listen, this is impossible. This is impossible. Dying to ourselves is impossible without the Holy Spirit. And we don't just have access to the Holy Spirit because we will it. We have access to the Holy Spirit because we have said yes to Jesus. I mean, this is how we started this journey, isn't it? When we came to God to begin with and we said, I'm a sinner, I'm wrong, you're right. My way is not the best way. Your way is the best way. And so I lay my way down and I choose your way. And if you'll help me live your way, I will live for you. That's, that's what we prayed years ago. Remember that? It looked different and it sounded different. And maybe we, we kind of cloaked it in and um, forgive me of my sins so that I can live forever in, in heaven. But salvation of the gospel is this. It's I'm choosing to follow you. And if you will inhabit this life of mine, and if you'll mature me as a son and a daughter, and you will help me to say no to sin and death in my flesh, and yes to life in your spirit, I will follow you. And he says, yes, I will come, and I will take residence, and I will be the rightful ruler and leader in your life as you give me permission to tell you no, and as you give me permission to tell you how to live life. That is what the Christian life is. And today, I propose that we renew ourselves to that. Let's stand together to our feet. Jesus, I want to thank you today that you showed us what it looks like to follow the Father. That you showed us what it looks like to say no to your flesh and to say no to the cultural notions of power and success of your day. And you showed us what it looks like to be of this kingdom a kingdom that is not of this world. And you did it so faithful and you did it so well. And so today, oh God, we would ask that by the help of your spirit, we would come and we would renew our decision to be followers of Jesus, that we would follow after you. In Jesus' name. Friends, let us come and let us receive graciously and gratefully of the body and the blood of Jesus together. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.